Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Optic Podcast, a podcast where John Sekatowski, Nick Gibson, and me, Andy Schmidt, will be discuss- discussing some of the hard theological and cultural topics in the Bible, bringing three different perspectives from three different generations. I hope you enjoy. And this week, we got John and Nick back. We're back. They're back. Boom. And uh, Nick was in India doing some work there. What were you doing there, Nick? Oh, I, I can't really say, um, oh, but it had okay. to do with some things that I did. All right. Nick was doing things that he did in <laughs> India. Uh, and John's got some very big news. Um, mm-hmm. you, can, you can tell. You can I, I mean, I, there are some things about what I observed when in India that I can tell you. So, well, there are just some things about my activities I can't tell you. What? Well, then tell us what, what did you observe? <laughs> <laughs> and heading, heading back to that first question. Yeah, as we're going, we're, we're, we're rewinding. Forget about John. Yeah, what, what, yeah. say what you can about. Uh, yeah, I think, I think it's important to say that the, um, there, there is a church in India. The church has, is growing in believers. And that um, the church leadership, people who are pastors, are very hungry for training. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's very little training among among them about they the estimate so we have is about eighty percent of independent pastors have no biblical training at all um, in terms of Bible school Bible college level like college level training and you can really tell mm. in their ministries and it's not just that they haven't been trained how to preach or interpret the Bible they haven't been trained how to like run a church or hold a worship service or and so they just copy whoever. And that's mm-hmm. all they can do. And it's really detrimental to the church's growth and development. Um, I, I'll also say that um, s- s- Americans are not very, um, they're not very up to date with what's going on politically in India and its relationship to religious freedom. Um, some people, th- uh, f- Trump was very um, cozy, I guess you could say, with Modi, the prime minister when he was there. But the BJP, which is the main Hindu nationalistic party in India, is nationalistic in the blood and soil sense of mm. Nazism, not in the conservative Anglo-Saxon freedom sense of America. So conservatism in America is the conservation of liberal freedoms that were enshrined in the Constitution. In most other places in the world, nationalism is the blood and soil nationalism related to the race that they think of as the native owning race of the country and that race is cultural norms. So because of that, um, the Modi's nationalism is a Hindu focused nationalism that is supportive of Hindu nationalist groups that persecute Christians, close churches. Uh, while we were there in one of the areas we were in, um, in Andhra Pradesh, there was a fishing village that there had been gospel work going on in for 40 years. There were five churches significant congregations and a Hindu extremist group came in, took control of all five churches, closed them, seized the buildings, reconverted the people by threatening them. Yeah. And then, and the local magistrates couldn't do anything and wouldn't do anything about it. Ultimately the churches were handed, the buildings were handed back over to the pastors, but only after a lot of work had been done to disperse the congregations. Right. And so mm-hmm. um, that's pretty normal in India. And in addition to that, the Modi government, BJP government, and so on have created discriminatory laws designed to discriminate against Christians. So, for example, if you're from a lower caste and um, the government would help you go to school, right, 
if you don't mark that you're a Hindu, if you're a Christian, yeah, then you are automatically put in a different caste, which is considered a, a caste high enough that mm. you can't get any aid from the government. Yeah. Mm. So by being a Christian, they've set it up to discriminate against you mm. as though Christianity was a caste. Of course, Christianity isn't a caste. So there's people of all kinds of income levels. In, within the Hindu system, if you're from a particularly low caste, it's almost certain that you're poor. And if you're from a high caste, it's almost certain that you're wealthy. And so you can say, well, then couldn't we give out could we give out like government help by caste? And that would work if everybody was a Hindu. But that uh, that doesn't have any capacity to metabolize anybody of these other, the other two main religions, which is, of course, Islam and Christianity. Buddhism is fairly small, but it's, it's those three religions. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is that, so what they did is they just said, well, we'll just label these religions as a caste that doesn't get any help. Mm-hmm. So now the government, including all the taxes Christians, Buddhists, and Muslims pay, mm-hmm goes to people the government deems worthy, yeah. which is only Hindus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so what it means is, is that if you're a young and you person... you the Christians and the Muslims won't... They won't really work together because the Muslims think of Christians as like scum, right? Um, they The Muslims aren't in a place yet where they have reached out to Christians because they realize they need to make a minority coalition. Mm-hmm. Um, there's 100 million Muslims. They have plenty of people and they have plenty of power to fight. And so when Hindus attack, physically attack Muslims... The Muslims will usually physically retaliate and they can usually do as much damage as the Hindus can do to them. Mm. And so they had just have enough people that they can fight. So even though they're only, you know, I don't know, 13 or something percent of the population, they're less than 20 percent higher than 10 percent of the population. Um, they're under enough of them where they can create havoc. And, um, and Muslims tend to be separatistic. So Christians tend not to be separatistic. Hindus are the majority, so they're not separatistic because everything's on their terms. So like Muslims, a lot of times they'll have their own schools. Whereas the Christians will often go to the Hindu schools mm-hmm. or the schools yeah. that, that are just the state schools, which are dominated by the Hindu population. Mm-hmm. And so what that does is if you're a young Christian, the, it puts pressure on you socially to say, well, I'm, I'm a Hindu so that you can get into colleges and get aid and you can. Mm-hmm. So there's there's right. this layer of discriminatory law. Is that, and a, is that lying? I know like you, we were, you talked about it with a group of people and I was sitting there and right. somebody had asked that. Like, is it, is it okay for them to lie to get the uh, financial aid that they need to go to these right. schools? And I, I don't think it's okay, but I don't know where, like, at what point is it, yeah, is I would it say ever okay? To I would say that's a matter of conscience. Um, you know, it's one of those deals where the government is supposed to mean, see, it, see, it depends on what you think the government's doing. Mm-hmm. If you believe what the government's doing is just trying to help people who are from poor situations, then this law is a inept one and... You might say, well, it's okay to lie because it's because they're trying to help me. They just set up this law wrong. If you believe, which in a way that I think is accurate, that no, the government is actually intentionally discriminating against you. Like they, they, they won't want to help you. Mm-hmm. And so therefore they want you to tell them the truth so that they can discriminate, discriminate against you. Now in that case, they're doing something that's fundamentally unjust, mm-hmm. but they know what they're doing and they're doing it intentionally. And so if you don't tell them the truth, you're not helping them do what they want to do you're actually not helping them do what they want to do, which is discriminate against you. So now you've got an issue of, is that unjust enough by the government that you have the right to disobey the government? By biblical standards, I would say the answer to that is probably no. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's a big, it's a big mess. But yeah. I think what should be happening is Christians should be demonstrating. See, the problem is, is that the Christians who really believe in Jesus a lot are in independent churches. There's no unifying. Th- mm. It's like it's like herding cats. You can't unify them into a movement, and so that's until there's like a Martin Luther King kind of figure that rises up and says, "Look, we need to, we need to fight this. Mm-hmm. Um, the churches just aren't unified enough to fight 
together. There's enough of them. I mean, nine percent, nine to thirteen percent of India is Christians. So they, if they were unified, they, could they really could do a lot. Yeah. But they're not. Yeah, yeah. Especially if they actually went in negotiations with Muslims in relationship to national politics. Um, but there are like there are places like for example, Andhra Pradesh. One of the main politicians there is a Christian. And so apparently, what he did, apparently, he walked like three thousand miles, two or three thousand miles, talking with people like in every area of Andhra Pradesh, like on mm. foot. Mm. And enough media attention covered that, and he like really did it and talked to people about the problems. And people were so inspired by that that he was a true servant leader. That he was elected overwhelmingly, like his mm. party won, like, I don't know, three quarters of the seats. It was crazy. Mm. And he's a Christian. Mm. Um, now I don't know how much he's done to protect Christians in these kinds of uh. cases, but. Because in India, all of that comes down to the local governments. It's not a state or national government thing. Oh, gotcha. And so you can get a lot of persecution in some pockets and not in others. Yeah. It's yeah. very localized. Yeah. So anyway, so I think the bottom line to remember is that the Indian Christians are, are vibrant believers. They lack leadership. Any investment we can make in their leadership is probably a good investment. That's some of the work that I do here in America is to try to support that. Um, and then... Um, and then it's, we should be realistic about the fact that there is a both national level and, and localized fundamentalist persecution, mainly from Hindus to Christians in India. Mm-hmm. And there may be ways we can advocate for them. I think that would be good. But how, that's, the, that's the reality of the ground. How can, um, like, what specifically can people pray for for the, for the people in India, uh, the Christians or the non-believers. I, I think the main thing to pray for is that God would develop his church because it's mm-hmm. hard to know exactly God's providence and persecution and to what extent he wants to purify his church and to what extent he meant, he means to scatter it so it can be planted in new places. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you can pray for peace and justice. I think, I think that the pe- people say that um, martyrdom is the seed of the church, that persecution leads to church growth. And that's not true. It's sort of true. Right, the church becomes more vibrant. It has to become more creative. It becomes more energetic. There are certain things that persecution does. You get the real. You get to weed out the the reals from the fakes. Right. There's yeah. a good bit of that. Yeah. But at the same time, there are many places in the world where there were true vibrant churches, and persecution destroyed them. And mm-hmm. there's no longer churches. So it's right. it's it's easy to get romantic about persecution and be like, oh, it's how God spreads His church. God has used it to spread his church, but it's often devastating and oftentimes the church is completely snuffed out. Right. And it's and it's important for us to remember that so that we have sufficient solidarity with our brothers and sisters around the world. There's a lot of there's a lot of solidarity work we should be doing. And I, I fear that's one of the things God can easily dramatically fault us for. Hmm. Well, okay. Well, that's a lot of good stuff. So we will Yeah. We gotta be praying. On that happy note, I think John has some yeah. news. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so uh, I got engaged yeah, baby. at the end of February to Christina Flaherty. So we're Shout shooting out. for a we're shooting for a July wedding, but we'll see if that happens due to coronavirus. Yeah, uh, we have a very small ceremony. <laughs> right at this point, at this point, we're we're delaying any decisions about that for some amount of time until we see how this. Dude, I heard somebody just had happen. a wedding yesterday, and there was a ton of people there. Yeah, we you know what we could do is we could do the uh, Braveheart style wedding and get you guys married, and then we could have a ceremony later. I I that yeah, I don't want to speak maybe too much publicly, but I think that's what we're leaning towards at this <laughs> yeah. point. Yeah, if that needs to be the case. And so. this is proof that the dating paradigm works. The dating paradigm works. Well, it works somewhat because Johnny Boy made some revisions 
Uh, but we're not going to talk about that now. We're going to do dating part three. I feel so like on that need, cliffhanger. I feel like we need to take somebody uglier than John and use That's the true. dating paradigm on that just to get a better sample of its being proved. Should we ask our? If you think that you're ugly, send us an email and we will <laughs> and we will use you to figure yeah. figure this. And out. a headshot and a full body. Yeah. Shot, right? <laughs> <We're gonna laughs> okay. And then we'll do a scientific study. And we'll email back and be like, "Yes, you we are, are the right, ugliest." You're right. The the case size is currently it one. Yeah. So hundred percent though. Hundred percent. Wow. Yeah. Well, we know other people that have used very similar dating models and done fine, right. but we also know p- other people who succeeded in marrying, who used a more traditional dating style right wow so, yeah but they probably had more issues maybe in their marriage that's one of the things uh, that we can uh we can yeah we dating can part three is coming up there's a lot of really good ones that are coming up but today we we had to sidetrack a little bit because of the, the outbreak of the cov19 coronavirus covid not just cov right see i don't, I don't even know what i'm talking ID. about <laughs> corona virus corona what is it Coronavirus disease 2019. Is that what COVID-19 comes from? Sure. Yeah. I, sure. Listen, this is, yeah, that's good. Um, we, yeah. So we're going to be talking about coronavirus mm-hmm. and how Christians. So I was at church this morning and for part of it, for, for about half of it, I walked in <laughs> late uh, <laughs> and there's nobody there. And so like, and you brought up some good points towards the end of the sermon of like, um, when there were other plagues and other diseases in the past, Christians were the first to go and help people. Mm-hmm. And now I feel like in America and the culture, now it's just non-Christians, but also with Christians is like, I got to go to the store. I got to get as much as I possibly can. And I got to like get, get away from people. And that doesn't seem like that's yeah. what we sh- should be doing, but that's kind of what we're going to be talking about is how to deal with this yeah. because it's happening. Yeah. I mean, also I, I, it's not in the Bible, so we can't, but yeah, you talk. Write a plague. In particular, yeah, I mean, I think it's important to recognize that not every plague is created equal, right? And mm-hmm. so, smallpox or the Black Death, which were likely the, those two plagues in the in the third century, is different than this one because um, most people can recover easily, recent decently enough easily from this one. And mm-hmm. at yeah. this stage, so right now at this stage, probably the most loving thing that we can do is isolate ourselves, right? Um, and uh, try to do everything we can to not allow the virus to spread exponentially. That's the biggest issue because um, projections of hospital needs are between 2.4 million and 21 million beds, depending on how fast it would spread. There's only, there's less than a million hospital beds in in the United States. There's 900,000 something hospital beds. Mm -hmm. And so what that means is, is that the lowest case scenario, if it spreads exponentially is that we'll need twice as many hospital beds as we've got. Right. Um, If, if it all happens fast, Right, and it's not sufficiently spread out, and so the idea right now is is just to try to slow the spread sufficiently right. so that we have kind of like a slow slope, like a uh, a Wisconsin Dell kind of knoll, rather mm-hmm. than like a Grand Teton right. mountain spike. Yeah, there's and been if we sort could of do that. That'd be great. Yeah, there's been sort of this meme going around that's more or less that's been talking about bending the curve and how like the thing that we need to do right now is take right is to take that high curve of a potential spike in cases and bend it downwards so that we can we can keep the maximum number of cases at any given time assuming that the number of cases is going to be similar regardless at least in most of the in most Mm -hmm. of the different projections i've seen they're they're more or less assuming that okay we're going to have this certain number of cases it's basically going to be the same whether we get them all now or whether we get them spread out over the next five months. Right. And the idea is, okay, can we bend that curve down enough to keep it below the capacity 
of the medical system. Yeah. Yeah, which, I mean, there's all kinds of issues and whatever with that, but that seems to be the best way to preserve a life. Mm-hmm. Okay, but I, I've, okay. Because, so, because. So wait, let me finish this thought relative to the plague the, the of the ancient oh, yeah, plagues, yeah, yeah, third right. century, yes. is that in those plagues, um, humans actually weren't spreading the plagues, rats were. And so um, they, 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 they had gotten past the point of outbreak. So once outbreak was out of the bag and everybody was endangered and sequestration was really not helpful, right? Mm-hmm. At that point, Christians decided, well, now it's time to cross the line and go and help my neighbor. And also they didn't have present scientific knowledge of how to combat these things. So I, I think there, right now the moment for Christians might be to do whatever we can to keep the spread as low as possible. Mm-hmm. Four months from now, if we get a spike like a really major spike, then maybe turning our church into a hospital is the best thing we can do, right. whether or not we all get sick. And then everybody under 35 becomes the staff for this hospital. Where I, like, I don't, I don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. it's probably not likely, but yeah. the, the point is, is that like, as this thing unfolds, the response of love may change. Mm-hmm. But right now it seems like we have plenty of hospital beds. We haven't had a major spike. The best thing we can do is whatever we can to keep it from spiking. Right. Okay. I, okay. So I was listening to some news station um, they had a doctor on, and there's a lot of doctors that have been saying that we're like somewhat overreacting to this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, what, like, okay, so yeah, what, why, like, why are we freaking out about this? It's, it seems to me pretty cringy that like you mm-hmm. go into the, to the stores and all the toilet paper is gone and everybody's freaking out and everything is shut yeah. down. Like, I understand mm-hmm. that, 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 you know, this is not good and we don't know exactly how to cure it, uh, yet, mm-hmm. but I just feel like everybody's freaking out for no reason. Yeah. And yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I think so there's a difference between um, freaking out in consumption of goods and freaking out in over isolating. Right. So I think that like the run on toilet paper, I think is, I think that may be partly affected by us getting some of our toilet paper from China. And Do you know why production slowing? It's toilet paper. I asked Luke in the other podcast why. Yeah. Why toilet? Why are we getting toilet paper? Is I mean, it's just it's just something that people need. And so generally, the the thought right now is try to have enough stuff to be able to last you fourteen days. So that should you become sick, um, or should you be in contact with somebody who you know is sick, you can sequester yourself into your home for fourteen days because that seems to be the furthest end of when you would start to see symptoms appear. How much do people poop in 14 days? I mean, well, people are getting... But right, there's more There's more factors well, involved. Well, it depends so on like, how much coffee they buy, too. Right. <laughs> but some of what, what could be involved is, like like Nick was just saying, like the globalization of, potentially, of this industry might be playing into this, too. That as, as supply lines are disrupted in China, so there is less TP coming ashore, um, and then people are trying to stock up on just the essentials that they'll need... Yeah, that's creating this. I mean, this John, meme do, that do, is. Do you think it is the case? Music. Do you think it is the case that people are thinking, "Well, I may have to be socially responsible, and so I want to make sure I have fourteen years of stuff on hand"? Or do you think people are just being like, "Oh dear God, like who knows the everything's that you know like and they're just running out buying stuff"? Because I think it's yeah. probably the latter. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. it's yeah. probably Dude, more. I think right, there's I more animal spirits there than right. there Americans is. Americans are right. not. We're not the brightest anymore. I, I'm gonna <laughs> say it. I don't, I think Americans are overall pretty stupid. And when they see somebody else or a group of people doing something, they all freak out and just go do it and without any thought. Cuz I'm I'm like I understand you got to get 14 days or whatever, but dude, like my mom waited in line for 2 hours at Costco to get toilet paper and they took some away from her. 
and like come on I, like the Schmidt family we gotta poop and we gotta and we gotta get our stuff out it just feels like this is just ridiculous I don't know but I think what's far more interesting to me is how the church is gonna respond to this um, because I was talking to, was I, I might have been talking to you or Luke about he pointed at me when he said right, you exactly well that's why we need a video John. so you can know <laughs> you that. can just say John yeah I was talking to John or Luke um, about how this will cause us, well, at High Point, church that I go to and the church that we all go to. Um, no. Uh, the church that we all go to, you guys are encouraging uh, people to stay at home, watch the sermons at home with their small groups. And it seems that seems actually really cool and really good because that's going to cause stronger community or feels like it would cause stronger community, maybe create like a, a home or a house church feeling um which is what I think is even a better way of doing a church anyways in the first place. I haven't, I don't know everything on it and I, you might unleash at me, Nick, but, <laughs> but I feel like that might be a better for our community and whatnot. Um, but I don't know what, why, why did you choose to do that? Because there's other churches here in Madison that are like, we're just going to continue with our regular thing yeah. and some that have completely closed. So most close of the, 100% like, most of the churches that are over 250 people at their services, have closed. So Blackhawk, Door yeah. Creek, churches yeah. like that. Have closed with the like, okay, we're going to do a stream, but okay, that's what they, they're not creating any like, okay, find a group. It's just like, we're creating a stream, church is closed. Watch that's the stream. It. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I did think- Did you guys that, all talk about that? All the pastors or not? Do you guys just Some of them did. Yeah. I mean, I texted back and forth with some of the, like the Blackhawk folks and stuff like that. And then there were a bunch of pastors texting back and forth with Mike about what we were doing. Okay. So- um, yeah, the very large churches like Blackhawk and Door Creek tend to consult with each other. And then High Point is kind of like the largest, High Point and City Church are like the largest churches in Madison that aren't big enough to be those other really big churches. Is Door mm-hmm. Creek bigger than High Point? I think so. Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah. I think there's, yeah. I think they're, yeah. So, yeah. Um, so, but see, we're not, because High Point, but High Point and City Church are not, like within their own denomination, like the evangelical free church, like, like Blackhawk and, and or Creek are. So in that sense, we end up becoming kind of the leaders of all, lots of these smaller churches because oh, they're yeah. not, I mean, they're not, Blackhawk and Door Creek really have their own, their own brands. They kind yeah. of, they function with that brand really strongly yeah. and it's, that's been really successful for them. We tend to be more like a brandless. We tend to be more like a, um, like, you know, one of those deals where like everybody's buying the same stuff, but we're different. Yeah, you know, like or how you, can, you eat the same sausages at different diners. Mm-hmm. All those diners are independently owned, but they're all buying the sausage from the same place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We tend to be more like that. We're like, you know, we're all sharing resources, but we're not a denomination. We're all not everything has to be through and by High Point, but like Optive Podcast. Yeah, this so like people called us through. and just asked us what we were doing yeah. because they didn't want to do all that same research and thinking themselves. And um, I have a staff; they don't have a staff, right? So when they, when they sit down to make the decision, they don't have 10 people around the table like we do, mm-hmm. yeah. um, you know, and, and, but we don't have enough people like Blackhawk made a task force. They like selected specific people and they made this like COVID task force and we really? don't have, we don't have that kind of thing going. Yeah, so got a lot of people to, to do that though. So anyway, so we were able to decide what we were doing, tell people why we decided to do it, send them the research we thought was, was relevant. And then they all made their decisions. Some of them decided to have services, some decided not to. And for us, we've agreed that like our situation is fluid. We may go to a stream only. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the first step I would take is to split small groups by three into threes. So to say, okay, if you've got a if you've got a small group of fifteen, let's break it down to three meetings of five, mm-hmm. right? And then have consistency with those five, mm-hmm. so that you know you wouldn't like it, 
parts move around or you just have your five that five and yeah because the idea would be to make self-contained circles so that if somebody got sick right. in that circle you all got sick but then nobody else right and so so as we've consulted so there's probably eight doctors that we consult with in our congregation and of those eight doctors um so there's there was there's one doctor who is who's been to like explore she, she, i mean she's just just starting to get connected to high point and um and that doctor was the most negative, like we should like, we should be in capsules. Like you, you understand, like we need to do a hundred percent everything mm-hmm. possible. That's all there is to it. The other doctors we've consulted with, they were, they either said that what we were doing was really good or a little conservative. Mm-hmm. And so, um, obviously we don't know, but we are well conservative of all of the public recommendations. Yeah. We're way more conservative than all the public recommendations. We are, almost in compliance with outbreak. So like the, the, we looked at um, what they recommended in Washington state where they're in outbreak Mm -hmm. and we decided to follow very close to those standards. So in, in Washington state, it's like groups are no larger than 10. Mm -hmm. So we dropped our small group groups from 25 down to 15 and we, we encourage people to have pretty small groups. And we also encourage people just getting together in, in dual family groups. Like, Hey, just invite a couple people over to your house and yeah. watch the live, the live cast. And I used much more specific language about how Jesus said, you know, if two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there with them. And a lot has been said about the context of that passage, but I think it does apply to this, that yeah. like when it c- comes to coming together as the church, mm-hmm. you have to have more than one human. Right. And so, but, but I think groups of two or three are fine. Mm-hmm. Um, so long as we're trying to do this together. So, mm-hmm. so we've, we've tried to be more conservative than the bell curve of the doctors were associate, were associating with relative to their expertise. We're more conservative than most of the written stuff online that's being published. We're yeah. more conservative than the CDC and we're more conservative than the, than the, um, recommendations of areas that are an outbreak. So I, to go all the way full whole hog to putting people in capsules and nobody interacting with anybody in a way that isn't only through technology. I'm not ready to do that yet. And I'm not sure that that's entirely wise. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I guess this is for John. Well, how, well I guess for both of you guys, how is this going to affect? Uh, so like you were talking about, Nick was talking about how not, not on this podcast, but I heard you talk about it. Um, this could affect the people in the congregation. Like people could go astray. You're the the con- some people in the congregation mm-hmm. could go astray. Like I know people downtown. Some of my friends downtown are just like college students. When they're not like plugged into something physically that they're going to, they mm-hmm. usually just end up leaving, or like they just don't right. ever come back, or like right. things happen and they're just gone. I how do how do you what do, what are we supposed to do about that? I feel like that's not that isn't necessarily just a job for the head pastor. Like you're not going to go to every single person's house and make sure that they're watching the, the live stream because right. right. you're going to be on it. Um, right. So how, how do people deal with that and what, and what do we do about that? Yes. I mean, this is, that's the goal of kind of developing these groups, right? So that it's not just something where people are in their own isolated capsules where they're just, where it's on the responsibility of every single individual person to be paying attention to the, to the sermon and then finding people to connect with. But the, the goal is that people would be, would be connecting with one another on Sunday mornings. And so, I mean, part of, part of what is potentially cool about this time is for example, Andy, you're connected to a lot of those guys downtown and you have the opportunity now to lead in saying, Hey, we need to gather together and we need to make sure that we're still meeting together. We need to follow the, like the Hebrews 10 
thing that's saying don't neglect meeting up with one another. And so this is an opportunity, I think, for for new leadership to rise up within our church, um, for us to bear the responsibility together of meeting for one another, meeting with one another, for us to to bear the responsibility together um, of caring for one another as Christians and looking out for the spirituality of one another, of tending to one another. Um, So I think it's a way in the decentralization process, a way that it could be used by God would be to raise up new leaders and to see who are the kind of people who are going to be willing to step in and to create structures where structures are being removed because of the situation. Now, right, on the flip side of that, there is the danger that the way that Satan would want to use this would be to scatter the flock, would be to, okay, there's these there's these 20 people who aren't very connected and they don't really know anybody well who's connected and now they're going to not meet up for the next three months while this is happening and they'll be lost. And so that that's like, that's the thing we need to be focused on during this time is trying yeah. to find those people and connect with those people. Yeah. I think that it's important to recognize that from a, from a Christian perspective, we're not materialists. And so even physical death is not the worst possible outcome in our mm-hmm. book. In our book, the destruction and damnation of the human spirit and soul is the worst possible outcome. Everybody's already sentenced to death. Not anybody's already sentenced who's alive to eternal death. And um, that doesn't mean we we don't take physical life extremely seriously. It's just to say that we're not the sort of people who say, well, all that matters is suffering and physical death because that's Mm -hmm. all there is. We absolutely reject that idea. And so um, somebody dying of this disease is a catastrophic outcome. That's, we, there's no disagreement about that. Materialist, Christian, we both agree that's a catastrophic outcome. The difference is, is that if you talk to a full materialist and you said, if somebody is strays from the church and strays from Christ irreparably and permanently, what is that? And a materialist would say something like, well, if the church was a positive influence and they lost that positive influence mm-hmm. and therefore their life was more negative than otherwise, then there may be a a qualitative or quantitative loss there relative to what they could have had. Mm -hmm. But the Christian response to that is yes, that and that they've lost their identity. They've lost their being. They've, they've fallen into damnation and the destruction of the human soul and spirit and everlastingly. So, and that is, is more catastrophic even. Right. And so if you believe that, then you have to believe that. And then you have to ask the question, what is human nature really like? Mm -hmm. What are human beings really like? And what, what the, the, uh, the very first or maybe second, I think it's the second chapter in Screwtape Letters where the Screwtape Letters, there's these, this demon trying to tempt this human who's called the patient, right? And Uncle, Uncle Screwtape is is um, telling him how to do it properly, right? And so after the first letter, the human becomes a Christian. And Screwtape says, okay, all is not lost. This is bad and you'll suffer for it, but all is not lost because if because the person's habits are all still on your side Mm -hmm. that he has completely non-Christian habits. And so what you got to do is forget his faith, utilize all these habits that are built into his character to slowly turn him back. Hmm. And he's like, there's, there's so many people down here in hell now that, you know, they made a profession of faith at some point, but through their habits, through their deformed characters, we were able to turn them back, turn them against that faith, separate them from the church, all that kind of stuff. And ultimately lead them to a slow and reliable path to hell. Mm -hmm. And so if you take a person who's like come to church three times, or even who's been coming to church on and off for two years. Mm-hmm. And then you, you just shut it down, shut church down. And you're like, hey, watch online. But they don't really have the commitment or self-control to no. do it. 
But if somebody that they knew at church called them and said, hey, John, hey, dude, you need to come over to my house and watch this with me. Mm-hmm. Or, hey, or listen, even to go along with some of the most conservative people to say, hey, John, let's you and me watch at the same time and text back and forth or like get on FaceTime while we're watching it. Like even that is something, but that takes self-control and effort and leadership and action and care and shepherding and so on. Mm -hmm. And so John is right. This is a huge opportunity for people to, to do mini leadership, Mm -hmm. to just care about one other person or a couple other people and just spur them on to love and good deeds. Maybe only utilizing technology and maybe also inviting them into your home or wherever in some space where you'll be together. Yeah. Well, you talk about uh, shepherding. To me, shepherding is a word used for pastors, and I don't know how, what, why. So I know High Point has like this done this whole thing on shepherding. I, I don't really understand it. Or so metaphorically, what right, the point of that? So is. if you look at the illustration, right, what shepherding is is um, sheep just don't do a very good job of leading themselves. Yeah, right. They can eat and they can walk around and they can mate and have babies, but but they don't they don't make decisions like where should we be going? Is this safe? Mm-hmm. Very well, right. And so what a shepherd does is it. It, they insert that direction in the person's life, mm-hmm. right? And so with a human, the assumption is hopefully that person will grow into higher levels of leadership and become more like a shepherd themselves and less like a sheep. Mm-hmm. But but the reality is, is that a lot of the people who believe in Jesus... You think you can grow in... Uh, you can like... Oh, okay. Wait. Yeah, I think you, you think can you become can less become oblivious. More, you can become a leader. Like you can be formed into leader? Relatively speaking, Yeah. I think that a lot of people think that they're leaders and they aren't and they try to be leader and they suck. And I think that <laughs> yes. that happens a lot in the church. And I don't think that I think some people just aren't leaders at all. Do you think, think that, do you think that, that point is rel- is related to the point I'm making? Well, if or you, that's if, just another point about leadership that you no, think no, 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 this is well, just one of Andy's uh, hot, hot well, button issues. No, right. No, no. Well, listen, if, if we tell a big, large congregation, if you tell a big, large congregation um, to shepherd, like, I feel like it gives people an idea or, or this idea like, oh, I, I can go out there and be a leader. And they can't. Some people just can't. I don't understand why we're telling people, like, this is what was confusing to me. Why are we telling people who we don't know if they're good at leadership or they're good at shepherding or even strong in their faith to go out and do this? It doesn't feel like it's very, that doesn't feel like it's a good idea to me. I've seen how me, I, I've like destroyed people's lives and I would say that I'm more prone to being a good leader than most people. Like I could be a good leader, but I've destroyed people's lives by being a bad one. I so think like, you how- have, I think you have, a. but this gets back to the issue that I think where you and I are missing a little bit because I think that you have a good leadership temperament. That's very different than having a good leadership craft. I guess qualities, right? Leadership qualities, but they're all, they're yeah, very Yeah, I mean, you're weak. just, you're, you're yeah. willing to disagree with people and not go along with the flow. You're willing to be loud. You're willing to be, to state your positions as though you absolutely know that they're true to inspire confidence in <laughs> others. I mean, and those, those really are, no, I mean, some of those are really important. Right. Like people right, won't follow right, you if you right. don't have them. However, that's not the same thing as the craft of leadership, okay. the prudence of knowing what to do, nor the character of leadership. Right. That is living a kind of life that will long-term inspire people because you live well. Mm-hmm. And so I think what when I said mini leadership or micro leadership or micro shepherding, all I'm saying is, yeah. okay. is seeing another person that's even more likely to stray than you mm-hmm. and trying to encourage them to come along with you. So yeah. Okay. That makes Cause sense. that's what happens in flocks, right? Like right. the shepherd calls 
the sheep, right? But they don't literally all listen to the shepherd. Like yeah. five or six of the oldest females listen to the shepherd. Mm-hmm. And then they start running towards the shepherd. Then all the other ones kind of follow them. Mm-hmm. That's what happens with cows too. You have a couple of cows who are like, oh, hey, that's the guy with the grain. I think we're supposed to go over there. And then they go and all the other cows follow them. Mm-hmm. That's how herds work. It's, I mean, it's really sad in some ways, but yeah. human beings are just kind of function that way until you like grow out of it. The point right. is, is that yeah. if, if you can keep the flock, the flock together, then hopefully over time what happens is these all these sheep mature. And right. as they mature, they become, to, to push the metaphor farther than Jesus ever did, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you get some sheep that become sheepdogs, and, and ultimately you get some people that are ready to be under shepherds, under Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just... Yeah, it was like at seminary, you know? the picture that they showed. I went to seminary with mm-hmm. John one time, and they showed us a picture, and it was... what. It was like a yeah. It was like different leadership models. But so one was, of them was a shepherd leading from the back, and then you had the dogs on the side. And right. That like blew my mind for some reason. It <laughs> wasn't that big of a deal, but I thought that I was like genius. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what what this is like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a there, there are a lot of shepherds that actually drive the flock from behind. That's a real thing that can be done. Right. Um, but so part of the deal is is that shepherding is different in different parts of the world depending on the topography and the climate. So like in Israel. Um, there's not a lot of distractions. Like, like if you're leading sheep from one place that has grass to another, there's like no grass between the two places. It's like literally dirt and stone, right? That's different than like moving around in Ireland with mm-hmm. sheep. I mean, it's just grass everywhere yeah. and like they can get distracted because there's always stuff to eat. And so driving sheep with dogs and having dogs makes a lot more sense in a highly temperate climate than in a basically a desert climate where the, the sheep are naturally going to follow you. Mm-hmm. So, even the shepherd metaphors can, it's like there were some misunderstandings I think about shepherding in England because they would read shepherd in the Bible and they would assume that what they did in England in shepherding practices mm. laid out perfectly and, and, and they laid out a lot, but not perfectly. Right. So I think the important thing for this context is this, is that yes, it is true that if you say, Hey people, we should lead in the church. The phenomenon you're talking about is real. Is that some people with either a leadership temperament or people who have a lot of vanity and pride go, well, I'm going to lead. And they get out there and they try to lead and they do a really bad job for a lot of reasons. Sometimes it's they don't have leadership gifts. Sometimes it's because they don't know themselves very well. Sometimes they're not very godly. So there's lots of reasons why. Mm-hmm. What I'm talking about is in situations like this, engaging in micro micro leadership in terms of shepherding, which is just to, to try to make sure that the guy just on your left and your right doesn't mm-hmm. stray. That's it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's just come with me to this thing or right. watch this thing with me or, hey, let's read this together. You don't have to actually be this, their spiritual guide, mm-hmm. but you can actually just help them not wander off. Mm-hmm. In, a, in a situation like this, that is the number one thing I would say to every Christian who's listening is have a ministry of not letting other people wander off during mm-hmm. this time. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, this gets into a metaphor that Nick, that you've used quite a few times when preaching is the metaphor of like Christians who become like horses. So where they're, where they're still soft to the touch and they got fuzzy noses, but at the same time, they're strong enough to carry people. And that's, that's much of what's being like tested in this moment is okay. As we, as we, as the church bear one another's burdens, can, can some people bear the burden for other people of getting them into a place where they're connecting with the service together and where they're connecting with one another and being the church together. So leading, leading in that sort of way, leading in like a, um, in like a care and in like a burden sharing kind of way, taking the burden of decision and taking the burden of leadership and, um, like for, for the sake of loving other people within the body. I th- and I think the biggest thing is the burden of discipline because mm-hmm. people just don't yeah. have the strength to do what's best for them. 
and that is part of immaturity. And so what's one thing, I mean, like when you guys are parents, I mean, like this is a huge part of parenting is like your kid just doesn't, it's sometimes if at first it's wisdom, they just don't know what the right thing to do is. And then mm-hmm. for a long time, it's like they know what the right thing to do is they just would rather please themselves mm-hmm. and they don't want to do it. And you have to be like, you're doing the thing. And they're like, oh, dad. <laughs> and you're like, I don't, I'm not your friend. I'm your parent. Do mm-hmm. this thing. And hopefully they'll, at the end, they'll love you. You know, like, what are you going to do? So, I, and, and so like when it, when it comes to this, like there's a, there's a, there's a significant percentage of the flock that is either a, they don't really believe the full gospel yet. Mm-hmm. They've accepted Jesus. I think by God's grace, they're probably Christians. Maybe it depends on your theory of whether or not you can lose your salvation. Right. Mm-hmm. We are, um, we discuss, we got that. We're but then check out episode one. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. then, but then there's the issue of the fact that like, like, okay, so let me, let me, um, okay, so I'm going to say something. I'm not picking on crew, okay? I'm not, this is just an example of many examples. It's just one that I'm familiar with, okay? Mm-hmm. So in the four spiritual laws, the first law is God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, okay? In the second law, there's a, there's a discussion of being separate from God, mm-hmm. but not a deep discussion of sin. And so it's easy for people to wrongly get the idea that this is all about God making my life go well, mm-hmm. right? Now, it's not that, and and there's lots of people in crew who have a good doctrine of sin and teach it, but it's easy for an undergrad teach, telling, teaching another undergrad to be like, do you want this Jesus thing? Because it's going to make your life so great. Right mm-hmm. now that person may believe in Jesus and that person may actually become a Christian. Like God may save them. They still do not know the gospel mm-hmm. and they don't understand yet what's going on. And so they're, they're still very strayable. Yeah. Right. And so that's the reason my crew tries to get people in Bible studies and like, right. because they're very, they stray easily. They, and they know that, right. Now, the church has lots of people like this in it, right? That like they believe some kind of false gospel or really limited gospel. And so that gospel hasn't really taken hold of them and really transformed them. And so they're Christians, but they're not. It's like in the book of Hebrews where he's like, by this time, I should be able to teach you something that isn't milk. You're like your babies, like all you can drink is milk and like you can't even eat broccoli yet. And it's driving me crazy because you should be able to deal with it. And the funny thing about Hebrews is, is Hebrews is probably... I would argue Hebrews is the most difficult New Testament book to understand properly. Yeah, mm-hmm. that crap is confusing. I've read, tried to read through it, and it right. That's not confusing. Okay. <laughs> and that book is referred to as the ridiculously simple milk. That it's stupid that these people can't understand anything more complicated than. Hmm. Who think about that? that? Hmm. That's crazy, hmm. right? Like I was, I was out of seminary, where I was like, I really felt like I got a handle on the book of Hebrews. I was mm-hmm. like, okay, I think I get this book. If that is the milk, not solid food. And so one of the things that, like Barna just came out recently with, with this notion that church attendance has dropped by half in America in the last 20 years. Mm. Half. Okay. Now, why is that? Is it just because secularism is winning? Now, Bible reading hasn't changed. Bible reading has stayed basically steady. But mm. church attendance has halved. I know some pretty, in some ways, devout believers who don't go to church. Mm. Yeah, right? yeah. That's, that's, your generation is loves to do that. Your generation freaking loves to do that like my parents and you guys all like your guys favorite things to do are <laughs> go from church to church to church and try to find the perfect one and when you don't find it you quit and that bothers the crap out of me i can't stand that right my I, way of coping with that was becoming a pastor so you could just make <laughs> make your perfect church right right and yeah. then when i failed it, i didn't have anybody to blame myself i mean when did you i mean i really did that really did happen i mean when i was your age i was sitting i was in college i was sitting in a church and i was like 
listened to the sermon and I was like, I could get up there right now, no prep and do better than this. This is ridiculous. And it was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. It was terrible. This is a grown man who had a mind and like was clearly not <laughs> using it. And, 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 no, and, and the thing is, is like, I remember this guy, he's a, he's a godly man. Like he was, he was, but like preaching the full counsel of God in mm. its fullness mm. wasn't in his mind because he was charismatic and he believed that just, if you just repented and you like embraced the spirit and had and like we're filled with the spirit you would get it you'd do everything right like you'd mm. get there and so you just had to preach over and over again repent open your heart to the spirit receive the baptism of the spirit receive the spirit's power and and it, he wasn't trying to exegete his way through romans like that wasn't even in his mind mm-hmm. but he's in a college town there's ten thousand college students in this town it's a little city and i'm like i'm so angry and i'm like i could do better than this right now and god is like okay listen it's it's either Either you take responsibility for this problem yourself because you're part of the church and it's my church, or you pitch it. And like I, I, I was like, it was kind of like when I wanted to divorce my wife. I could reject God and divorce my wife, or I could find a way to get along with this woman that I hate, and <laughs> but that I used, but that I used to love. And so I decided to get figure out a way to get along with this woman that I hate that I used to love because I wasn't. I you can't walk away from Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who else has the words of eternal life to put in Peter's words? Okay, same so, thing with the, same thing with the church. Yeah. Like. I understand this whole, like, I don't like church. I don't want to go fine. That's completely irrelevant to going to church is right. the problem. Right. No one cares if you don't like church. Church is the living body of Christ that manifests itself in local congregations. I think there's a more legitimate argument though. I, I don't think that it's that they don't like church. I think that some people, cause I, I've had experiences with pe- older people that have tried to convince me of certain things and talk to me. A lot of older people, they've been like, it's not that they don't like churches; that they legitimately believe that the church that we do we're doing today is not the church that Jesus wanted the apostles to set up in the New Testament, and therefore, like mm-hmm. I mean, I, I I somewhat agree with. I think that we're not doing things the yeah. way that it was supposed to be set up, and so then they think that okay, so if if I'm going to this, this isn't actually church. This is not what Jesus wants, so mm-hmm. I don't have to go. But I I I would disagree with that statement to right. say to just not go. I think you I think and this is. I think you go and you try to do your best to yeah. make it into what right. you believe. I'm that, very yeah. unsympathetic to that view because if you mean Jesus, if you're like, well, this is what Jesus wanted. Well, how in God's name do you know what Jesus wanted? He never said. Like Jesus literally never said anything about the structure of the church he was intending to create. I Nothing. think it's scripture. I mean, like in, in, the, in the New Testament, okay, how well, they great. set it up and, well, and yeah, what Yeah, well, the did. minute you do that, you're dead in the water because the minute you admit the epistles, the rest of the New Testament in, in relationship to the structure of the church, you're screwed. Because the church is local, it gathers, it has distinguished elders, those elders have the ability to engage in church discipline, like, there's a lot of things. I mean, like, mm-hmm. it's surprisingly, surprising how much, if, they, if they, like, I don't know anybody who's ever made that argument who's like, you know what my problem is? Is our church doesn't have a list of widows. That's my problem. Mm-hmm. Like, if we were really going to obey the Bible, every woman over 60 who had no other means to take care of them, who committed themselves full-time to the ministry of the local church, should be financially taken care of by the local church as she ministers the gospel and the Bible among the women of our society. We just don't That's have- Nobody's ever yeah. said that, right? Because here's the thing. they are they, Most of those people do not understand what the Bible— I talked to a guy recently who's going all over the world starting basically cell churches. What, he's had a, what? Like cell churches, like little small groups of people who make little small groups. Like they call oh, them yeah. now, the hip thing to call them now is disciple-making communities. Yeah. So there's small groups of people who are essentially trying to live out the Great Commission making disciples, right? That's great. There's, there's nothing wrong in per se with disciple-making yeah. communities. But the guy was basically like, this is what Jesus was trying to do. And I'm like, okay, great. Who are the elders? 
Yeah, and they're like, like yeah. what do you mean? I'm like, the Bible explicitly says elders are be to, to be appointed in every local church. Mm-hmm. Who are your elders? And he's like, I, I don't think that's what Jesus wanted. I was like, okay, listen, in plain Greek, the, the Bible explicitly says these things. Mm-hmm. So it's one thing for you to say, I think that the present attractional church is a kind of abomination because it's a huge waste of money because we're all so shallow. The only way we'll come to church is if there's a rock concert and some guy that can make jokes preaching. I'm incredibly sympathetic to that view. Mm-hmm. The view that we're wasting an enormous amount of money with facilities because we could be meeting in homes using technology the way we're meeting right now with the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. Like Nicole just played a piano. I preached. Like I could have another job and do that. Mm-hmm. Like if you we do. all you run the tree cutting company. <laughs> <laughs> but like if we if we really had the self control to be Christians mm-hmm. and to like do this stuff, we wouldn't need a staff. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't spend two point two million dollars on ministry. Mm-hmm. That money could be sent to places like all over the world. And if if like if twenty percent of us tithed, our budget would double. That money could be spent to help Christians who are being murdered by Boko Haram in Nigeria. They could be sent to build up leaders in, in India and so on. People as educated as Americans have no business with a, having a professional clergy, right? Like, we're all so freaking educated. The idea that we send, like, I literally had to do a doctor's level worth of education to be more educated than people in the congregation, hmm. right? Now, that's great. I enjoy doing that. I like getting paid for it. But most of you know what I know about the Bible. If you just wanted to read it and study it, it's not like some kind of crazy thing that you can't figure out. Mm-hmm. And I could, I could lead like 12 churches theologically. Right. So I'm sympathetic to that, but the, but the Gen X like, well, I'm just not going to go cause this is stupid and like church is stupid. And I th- like grow up and be part of the solution is my answer mm-hmm. to that. Yeah. Just, I, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's because exactly the, because the Bible commands you and assumes that you're a part of the local church. Right. In so many places. Okay, but and not all of them can do what you did. You, you like, you're, you, you became but, a pastor. But, I, I mean, it's, and I'm can, not agreeing with them. I'm just trying to play the yeah, you other can side have, of the. You can still have the same response of, uh, I need to take responsibility for this. Yeah, my brother. Whether that was, whether that was okay, I'm going to become the pastor of a church, mm-hmm. or I'm going to take the responsibility to engage with this church in the way that I think that, like in the direction that I think it should go. But and I'm going I, to talk to people right. about that, those kind of things. But that's the thing, John. It's not that easy because when people start to talk to people, you, you know churches, people talk and people talk. And when that gets up to the, the high leadership within churches, the high leadership would look at that person and say, well, this person is causing division within our church because they think that they should do something, that we should be doing something different. Mm-hmm. They take that person in. They say, you need to stop it. That person is like, well, you're not listening to me. I know what I'm talking about. I'm pretty sure I've done this maybe, uh, <laughs> but I, I have experience in this. And then that person and then and then your generation is like, well, I'm done with these people. And I, I kind of understand where they're coming from because they're like, I feel like I'm not being listened to at all. And I feel like like these three people, four people, five people up at the top have all this power and they can just kick me out. They have all this influence that does suck for people. And I don't mm-hmm. think that you can just come in like mm-hmm. so, people got to just realize there's, there's a lot of things that have to happen in this situation, but I, I don't know. What, what do you think about that? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I agree. I agree. I, yeah. that, that really does happen. It happens very, very consistently. There's, there's like, I don't know, 350 churches in the city. Like really? I mean, there's a lot of churches with 50 people who, if you went tomorrow, you would be the second most important person in that church in six months. If you really committed to that body of Christ, like it's, it's just not the case that, I think a lot of these people want to be part of larger, exciting churches that have resources and stuff, and then they want to have their say. Yeah. But the, the problem is somebody else built that. You didn't build that. So, like, if you want to, if you want to, like, to, for me to be at High Point, like, 
I served like four other churches. I served as a youth pastor. I went and did a MDiv. I like I was the I was the preaching pastor who made a third of the salary of the senior pastor at a church for seven years. Though I was almost as integral not not as integral as him, but I was pretty dang integral to that church doubling in size. And then and then I came here. Then somebody trusted me with doing this kind of thing. And so yeah, I think a lot of people have a lot of ideas in their heads about what they think is right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But like, listen, the fact is, is like, it's not just that those, those people have power and you don't, and it, it sucks that they won't listen to you. It's, you haven't proven yourself. You haven't done anything like yeah. those people. Now, now if that church has been in decline for 10 years and that pastor came five years ago and like, clearly what they're doing isn't working, mm-hmm. then yeah. Okay. Well maybe that person didn't, but usually more people, that, that more people in the congregation would be like, we got to do something about this. It wouldn't just be one guy. If that was the situation. Where yeah. You know, but like when people come to me and they tell me like what we're doing isn't worth doing, I'm like, okay, awesome. I listen, I'm totally on board with that. The only reason I'm doing this is because it's the best thing I know how to do. And it seems to be working. Mm-hmm. And so if you know something that'll work better, let's try it. Right. And the, the fact is, is that they go, okay, yeah, well, let's try it. I'm like, okay, well, I'll help you. How do you, you're going to do it? So you need to raise a couple hundred thousand dollars or you need to go without a salary for five years and you get right. Like, and that like, well, I can't possibly, well, I'm like, well, how important is that's it what you? it takes. That's mm-hmm. what it takes to do the, to do new vision. And I'll give you some of the money, but I'm giving right. you all the money. Yeah. You got to inspire some other people to do it too. And what happens is these people all fold all of them. Mm-hmm. They all yeah, fold. totally. I, I agree. I think that people are weak. I, I, I agree with everything that you're saying. I was just trying to play the, and so if the, you can't, if you're going to fold, and you're not going to lead, then get in line, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like, because if, listen, if you're not going to be an officer, then at least be a soldier. Yep. Like you can, you can be part of an extremely like impractical and ineffective church, but you're still in the game. Like I, like, like my, my brother's a good example of this. He, um, he didn't become a pastor. He wanted to be a missionary in Nepal because he wanted to be a hundred percent sold out for Jesus. And he didn't really like the local church and he wanted to do something great. And then he realized that God had made him good at engineering, like really good at engineering Mm -hmm. and that he was really smart. And he was in in science to be successful. You don't, you can't smart is not enough. You have to be exceedingly diligent Mm because most people can't really do science because they won't actually take the experiments all the way through and actually come up with the results and publish the research. Like Mm -hmm. it's really hard work to do. It takes Mm -hmm. a lot of discipline. And he had both of those things. Very rare. And so he became an engineer for a while thinking that he would then, then go be a missionary. And then he realized that, that probably wasn't God's calling for him. He still did a master's in engineering in the part-time did a, or did a master's in theology part-time. Then he got a PhD. Then he got another degree in ecology and evolution because he was doing stuff with insects and, and fish and stuff like that. And so, um, and, and so now he does about a third of the preaching at a college ministry, kind of like a crew at UC Davis called college life. He mentors people in his home. He disciples in the children's ministry at his church. He has been disappointed with his church for, 10 or 12 years, probably. It's an evangelical church. They believe the Bible. Hmm. Preaching's okay. It's not very vigorous. The last pastor didn't even believe in evangelism. He just didn't believe it was worth doing Hmm. because nobody comes to Jesus as adults in California, certainly not in Davis. And it's just so frustrating for him. But like, it starts, it starts with the conviction of, are you willing to do what scripture teaches that you should be part of a local church? Hmm. He had the right to go to another church. There wasn't a better church in the city. So he stays at that one and he labors and he does good, right? And and yeah, maybe the day will come where there'll be some like church that does it right, whatever the heck mm-hmm. that means. Mm-hmm. But that's really not what most people are going to experience. Most people are going to experience a profoundly imperfect church with a profoundly imperfect leader um, that where the gospel is believed and preached and you do the best you can. 
Do you think? Uh, do you think like the underlying issue is more of of pride than it is of like, um, I don't know. It's, it feels like I don't need. These... I don't need to hear more. Yes, is the answer to that. Okay, cool. All <laughs> right. And and vanity. Yeah. Okay. And sloth, and envy. And, like I mean, we could go on, but yeah, pride is involved. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't. know. We should probably go back to talk about coronavirus because okay. <laughs> we were not <laughs> talking about that anymore. Um, I th- I do think what c- coronavirus can do though is create opportunities for for micro leadership right in gathering people in smaller groups and and i'm actually kind of interested in this i've been telling the staff this for years is a day may come where we can't afford a church building anymore Mm -hmm. either it will be outlawed to even have one because they won't they won't actually say you can't be christian but they'll they'll zone out it would they'll use zoning laws to get rid of churches similar to some of the things that you were talking about in india like say that same sort of structural Right. It won't be like you can't be a Christian, but it'll be a law that prevents anything practically Christian from happening. Right. Be like a passive aggressive. Right. right. So that, you know, if that were to happen, or like, for example, um, we could become a high welfare democracy. So um, the Scandinavian countries, for example, aren't really socialist. They're just, they're exceedingly high tax welfare states. Mm-hmm. So the, the government doesn't own the means of production. So they're not technically socialist. But the tax level on the middle class and the upper class is so high. That's how they can afford their stuff, right? And so if tax rates were similar... And so, so for example, we've had a missionary in Sweden. He's one of our most effective missionaries. So he has helped a church grow to over 150 people, which in Sweden is a big deal because the country is like 100% labeled... Or not, I'm sorry, 80% labeled atheist, okay? And there's just very little belief in God at all. And so for a person to help build a church of 150 people and a career as a missionary there is unbelievable. This guy does evangelism. Like he and his wife are doing evangelism like every single day. They're incredible people. Okay. With 150 people, that church still cannot afford a single staff member and they don't have a building because marginal tax rates are so high to pay for the welfare state Hmm. that everybody's paying 68% of their income, 74% of their income to the government. Mm -hmm. They just don't have any disposable income Hmm. by which to be generous towards nonprofits. And Hmm. that's why there's very few nonprofits and churches can't pay for themselves. And so the day could easily come where the government doesn't outlaw Christianity but in order to create an ever-growing welfare state so that people will will like worship and support the, the parties that are in control in the government, it creates marginal tax rates high enough so that people just don't give anymore. Mm-hmm. I think the day's going to come in America. I think that's more likely than outlawing churches, frankly. Mm-hmm. Oh, you think that in America? I think that outlaw, I think they're going to just completely outlaw Christianity in America with, within the next 40 years. I, I don't think it's... I, I think that that's the route that we've been going for a long, I don't, long time. I don't know. I think that... Well, think about think this. about the think about this. The KKK and white supremacy hasn't been outlawed in America. It's been just so successfully marginalized that there's probably less than two thousand KKK level white supremacists in America total in a country of three hundred fifty million people. But and, I feel like right, they're more dangerous in physical, like they're physically dangerous. Where Christians to a non-believer or to somebody. Uh, Sure. They're more like mind, like our right, no, mind. No, I'm not saying that Christians are anything like white supremacists. What I'm saying <laughs> is, is that you can take an idea, you can take an idea culturally and so right. marginalize it yeah. right. that, that you can gone, make yeah. it be gone without ever really like outlawing it. And I think that, um, yeah, and I, I th- there are political views and there are perfectly reasonable views in sociology and psychology and stuff that have been marginalized that much, even though mm-hmm. it's like, for example, cognitive psychology is like the big rage right now. I don't think it's any I don't think it's better than psychotherapy, but psychotherapy is kind of on the downtrend and cognitive psychology is kind of on the uptrend and mm-hmm. it just is what's happening and people push their ideologies and so on. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that so I think in America it so 
when you try to, when I try to project the future, right, I'm looking ahead and I'm saying, okay, what's going to happen and how can, I, God's not going to abandon his church, but God isn't committed to big church buildings like this, mm-hmm. right? He's committed to his church. That is the, the, people. the, the people, right? And so it may be that I think what's most likely is, right? So right now, on, before we hit coronavirus, our economy was the best it had been in years and years and years. Lowest unemployment rates we've seen in maybe forever, right? Mm-hmm. And yet our budget deficits are huge. Mm-hmm. Like they're ridiculously crazy. Okay, no, no, I'm arguing that this is unconscionable. Okay, if you're, if you're, if the economy is doing this, what good? Uh-huh. Mm. Therefore, your tax receipts is the highest they're ever going to be, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're still spending almost double what you're getting in tax receipts. You are bankrupting your country. There's mm-hmm. no question about it. Okay, so if that's the case, what's going to have to happen, right? Mm-hmm. Now, either we're going to have to radically decrease the amount we're spending on these entitlement programs like Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, and so on, which people don't want. Welfare. Which people well, welfare is actually a pretty small part of it. Yeah, Medicare, we should get rid of that. Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security are by far the biggest. Yeah. Social Security mm-hmm. is by far the biggest. Yeah. And who's going to cut that? I mean, that's really, really hard to do. So if you understand that, then what's going to happen? So what the politicians are going to have to do at some point is they're going to have to raise marginal tax rates to try to pay for some of these things because the country is going to go into default. Now, if and, and listen, it's not even just like we can't quite pay for Social Security, like. It's hundreds of trillions of dollars of unfunded liabilities that we have as a government. Mm -hmm. And then the states have another several hundred unfunded liabilities on top of that with pensions and stuff like that. So we are like exponentially unable to pay for the promises we've made to people. Mm -hmm. Now, when that happens, we've got two options. We can just default, right? Or we can print money so money's worth nothing, which -hmm. will destroy people's wealth and they won't give. Or we can raise marginal tax rates so that we can pay for it. Well, we're not going to be able to do that with millionaires and billionaires, Wait, say, like what's Bernie defa- says. Default, define default. We just don't pay our debts back. We f- default on them. Oh, so we could tell China, hey, we're never, we're not going to pay any of these bonds back. Then what? what the well, China- that's catastrophic because now we can't borrow any more money ever, like for right. a while. Right. And so the liquidity in our country will go bad, and our our entire financial system will fall apart. What most countries do is they just print enough money to pay their debts. But of course, that devalues yeah, their currency, the, right? And it steals from people who've saved and the elderly. So right? you're saying the smartest thing to do would be to cut those. We gotta, well, well, what we some should, people would say cut. What the we should be doing right now is we should cut about everything by ten percent, and we should do very pro-economy policy so that we grow our economy as fast as possible. If we cut everything by ten percent and then we kept our budget basically exactly where it is, and we were able to grow the economy by about two and a half to three percent, we would actually grow out of this crisis. Mm-hmm. Our economy would grow fast enough that we would we would overcome the crisis. The problem is, is nobody's going to do any of that. Why? I was going to say if it's like if it's that easy because everybody wants their check. Mm. Like everybody's yeah. everybody's getting paid off the government by the government in one way or another because they feel entitled and we have an entitled. Well, culture. it's hard to argue with a seventy-two-year-old guy that paid Social Security his whole life that he isn't entitled to a Social Security check. Mm-hmm. You know, the problem is the government spent that money. Freaking FDR. Right. So anyway, the the point is the way this relates to the church is right. The way this relates to the church is. And so like this lays at the feet of Democrats and Republicans. I'm not making a pro Republican or pro Democrat argument here. They're, they're both completely disconnected from reality. Okay. Mm -hmm. In relationship to finances. So basically what people are saying is happening with global warming or climate change, whether or not that's happening, that definitely is happening financially. Hmm. Definitely is happening financially. Now when that happens, if they raise marginal tax rates for people where we're all paying, 65% 65% of our income directly in taxes. How many people do you think are be tithing or giving to the church? Mm-mm. 
right? What's going to happen is practically it's going to squeeze out that giving. Mm. And when that giving is squeezed out and we can't pay for this building anymore and we can't pay for the staff anymore, this whole model of doing church is over. Do you understand? It's over. Mm. Like none of us, we're not making a living doing this anymore. Mm. So then what? Right. I'm, right? I'm not right now. So. <laughs> right. So, yeah, so the issue is now what's the church going to look like? Because we can't yeah. afford to have buildings right. and we can't afford to have staff. Yeah. Right. So how do you have pastors and elders and what do you do then? Right. Everybody's a lay person is what, right. is what happens. Every, we, we might still help some people go to seminary and get seminary training, but then when they get out, they go to work. Yeah. But like, how do you do the structure if that happens? Exactly. So you might still have large group gatherings if you can find a place that you can't own to meet. So the, the disciples met in Solomon's colonnade, you know, when they first started out in Jerusalem, which was an open place people could meet in public and they just met there publicly. But then a lot of what they did was they were meeting in homes day to day. And so we would have to go to much more of a home group kind of model. Well, the problem need- is, is that there's some places in America where um, house yeah. housing zoning law is being enforced increasingly more strictly. So that if you have a small group at your house, technically, according to law, that's a religious meeting and you're not zoned for that mm-hmm. in your house because it's a private residence. So now you're functioning in your house outside of your zoning and the police can shut you down. So technically, there's already laws on the books so that if we go to a small group-based model, if we go to a small group-based model, now the government can shut down even the small groups. Mm-hmm. So see, this is, these are some of the complications that are coming down the road, right? In ancient times, there were Christians that met out in fields. Well, guess why? <laughs> I mean, we're, we're almost going to be reduced to that if those sorts... Now, listen, I'm not saying these things are going to happen. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, is that getting from here to there is not unthinkable. Right. Yeah. And it has happened. These kinds of things have happened all throughout history. So we should be like acting now, hopefully averting that Mm -hmm. so we can have a much more positive future. But at the same time, recognizing that those days might be coming. And when Mm -hmm. those days are coming, we need, we can't have Christians that are blown away astray and believe silly little gospels that don't really change them into strong people because the day is going to come where to be a Christian, you're going to have to be strong. You're going to have to be strong. But that also means that right now the church, the leaders in church need to build up strong people to teaching and stuff like that. Yeah. And I think that's always been true because if, if you want to know what my gut is about church attendance decreasing dramatically in the last 20 years, I think some of it is Gen Xers being pissy. Some of it is that. I think it's, I frankly think it's the social pressure has been turned up and people can't handle it. Hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's 20 like 90% years ago. Of it, dude, yeah. 20 years ago, you could be super homophobic. Like not even just like not, not affirming, but you could be incredibly homophobic. Mm-hmm. And like, there wasn't pressure on you about that. Yeah. Or you could like believe whatever you want about like, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that like didn't matter. Yeah. Now the fact is, is that a Christian has to be a not homophobic and B hold to a biblical standard of Christian sexuality. Like to, to be against fornicating, like you Which like is you're, we're against premarital sex for God's sakes. Mm-hmm. Like people are like, you guys are terrible. And, and most people are not prepared to bear that kind of disapproval. Hmm. It's one of the reasons why Fox news and MSNBC are important cultural artifacts because whether or not either, either um, news station tells the truth, the way they function is, is that they emotionally prepare a minority community for the derision of the people who hate them. Hmm. And that's an incredibly important function if you're a minority. (laughs) If you're a minority, you have to have some social function where people talk. So like if you go to like a a gay meeting, like a meeting with like LGBT kind of, I went to some of these in college, right? And um, because I didn't like gay people because of how they like treated me. 
as a Christian. And I was like, okay, these are people I have to learn to love them. They're more than just their disapproval of me. And so I went to some of the LGBT meetings, right? So I'm there and they're like, they're all like calling each other fag and like all sorts of derogatory names. Right. And they're like, they're creating this like joking, false culture of pseudo persecution. Hmm. And like it was like as an observer, it was so obvious why that's the case because they're going to go out there. People are going to call them fags. People are going to treat them this way because this was in 1995. Okay, this is like when I I first started doing this. So there still was a good bit of homophobia, right? And so they were kind of like emotionally working out how what they were going to be called, how they were going to be treated. Hmm. You can see this with Christians sometimes, like um, like you're a closed-minded bigot. We'll say to each other kind of jokingly, right? There's that. There's a sociological thing there where like we're actually trying to strengthen each other to receive with good humor the real derision people are going to give to us. Mm. You can see in the black community, people call each other the N-word. They'll joke about the way people attack them and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. And that's part of an internal culture of like accepting that, look, this is what people say about us. Mm. This is what they say about us. This is what people believe about us. And A, we have to be able to accept people say that. B, we need to realize that we need to make that not true about us. Mm. Um, Some cultures do that better than others. And then just three, I need to be proud of who I am even though this is how I'm talking about and treated. Mm-hmm. And Christians have to be increasingly strong on these minority practices because increasingly we are a cultural minority. We've always been an actual minority. Mm-hmm. But there was a long time where American culture paid tribute in vice to the virtue of what they understood the Christian ethic to be virtuous. Now they're coming to believe that the Christian ethic is is wicked. Mm-hmm. So now non-Christians are no longer pl- are playing, pretending to believe the Christian faith is virtuous and our beliefs are virtuous. And so now they feel open to, to heap derision upon us. And so we have to be emotionally prepared for that. And so I think some of the whole like secret church boomer movement kind of thing created a lot of Christians that just simply were not ready for this kind of stress. Hmm. And because of that, as this cultural stress has slowly increased over time, just kind of like popcorn, people are just kind of popping out. They're hmm. just kind of like, I can't take this. Hmm. So do you think that there was, there was, the same amount of Christians back then as there is now, like true Christians, or there's actually more Christians, true believers, and we've just we've just gotten less. Because you see, John, you've seen the movie Silence, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a guy in that movie who constantly is renouncing his faith, uh, time after time after time. You know what I'm talking about? The uh, are you talking about like the main like Liam Neeson guy? No, no, no. He he did no, but that one the Asian guy who's cost every time that he's asked to renounce his faith it's like he does it every single time time after time after time. you know what i'm talking about i don't specifically remember all right well there's a guy like that but how can we know then um if like it, are those true believers the people who cr- who crumble under the social pressures and who crumble under under, under that like those people are going to hell do they I mean like, this how is, can we know was, that as this Christians? gets back to podcast number one I mean I think I think <laughs> yeah. what's important how do we know who to evangelize I to? think it's important from a pastoral perspective to say many of these people were sincere believers mm-hmm. that is that they thought of themselves as believers they did believe and then they were see because people forget how such how much we are social animals and how just disapproval can change people's minds like how many teenagers have you known that like we're Christians and then they just go to public school and everybody hates everything about being a Christian. You know, like it's just like you want, Oh, you don't want to have sex. Oh, you know, blah. people are afraid to say that they're Christians and then they just, they just fold and they wouldn't be like, but in their minds, they changed their mind. 
mm-hmm. in their minds now they're being more authentic and right. they're like they have all right. kinds of excuses and stupid right. like and they're just like no this is i this is a totally self-conscious choice i made i got better arguments when i went to college or like mm-hmm. and it's bullcrap you went to a place where people profoundly disapproved of what you believed and before you were going to church or a Christian school where people affirmed you. Mm-hmm. So when you went to the Christian school, you were a Christian and you affirmed it because people affirmed you. And now you went to a place where people attacked you and then you pitched it because what you care about is being accepted. That's yeah. what you care about. Let's quit pretending. Boom. That's good. I like that. And so I, I think that that happens good. with a lot of young people. And so I think that our, one of the things I know Luke is trying to do the youth ministry is trying to create a youth ministry where the kids who come out of there aren't just believing in Jesus because it's cool to do in youth group. And mm-hmm. like, and then they're going to pitch it as soon as they go to school or, or to college. He's trying to do that. It's not easy to do mm-hmm. because preparing a human being to, to be like a sheep, like that quote, that quote from Romans eight, I quoted today where all day long, we're like sheep to be slaughtered. Like that's literally what it feels like. It feels like you're a sacrificial lamb and they're just going to slit your throat whenever they want to eat you. Like that is what, but that's literally what every Christian has to emotionally prepare themselves to be. Mm. That's why Paul wrote Romans 8. Mm. And and so in my mind as a pastor, when a Christian is ready to face derision and be like a sheep to slaughter all day long, that's when I know I've made a Christian. Mm. That's when I know I've really made a disciple of Jesus. Mm. And until then, I have no idea what's going to happen. And hopefully we can keep the flock around them enough that they can make it. But But I'm not willing to say that all these people that have been bullied out of the faith were never believers because I think that puts too much responsibility on people being bullied. And I think in some ways you're blaming the victim because people say all kinds of stuff like, well, you know, America's a Christian country and stuff. And like, you guys have been the majority of blah, blah, blah. Well, first of all, not since I was in college and that was in the nineties. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like when I went to college in the nineties, I was one of 40 students out of 10,000 who professed faith and I was bullied and treated with derision constantly. And that was in the nineties. It's gotten exponentially worse. What do you mean worse. bullied? Like, I don't get that. I, I mean, like I'm I was called stupid in class in front of hundreds of other students because I said something that like insinuated I was a believer. Um, now, some people were, the thing is, it's hit and miss. Some professors were very respectful. Some other students were very respectful. Then other people were just terrible. Why did you take that? What did you do? What what am I gonna, I'm going to get up and punch my professor or something like that. No, I was just like, I, I was just like, well, I, I don't, like, I don't have the floor. Like I could ask a question. Yeah. Right. But I, I mean, I had a history professor is just like all of life is completely meaningless. Believing it has some kind of meaning is completely ridiculous and stupid. He wrote and Ecclesiastes. <laughs> <This> <laughs> wish. Yeah. And he just, I mean, that's how he started his lectures on American history. And like, that's not, mm-hmm. that's nothing to do with American history. Yeah. And you know, th- we had professors that were like that and they kind of, they enjoyed attacking people with any kind of traditional view at all. Cause that's of course what university is for, right. Is destroying everybody's previously held cherished beliefs. And, um, so anyway, I, I talked with crew students and college students now and, um, th- I mean, they're in the same boat or worse. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. It. Depending on the field. So like for, for me, when I was, I was going to school as a mechanical engineer. So like I wasn't taking a lot of classes where we're talking about ethics or like the human animal or things like that. So I didn't experience a lot of like in classes, that kind of stuff. Now I did experience that sometimes in my conversations with like, with different friends or smaller groups like that, but. But right, if you're taking a, especially if you're taking a class in the humanities nowadays, you're you're gonna run into that kind of stuff. And the broad the broad ideology of the administration, right? Because that is controlled by the humanities, and um, that's that's pretty strong stuff, right? Right. So yeah, and so so I think it's important to recognize that 
in in ministry, I'm not trying to create somebody who professes faith. That's mm-hmm. I, I, yes, I want that. That's part of it. That's necessary, mm-hmm. even. But it's a necessary but insufficient condition of yeah. persevering faith. So, so I think a part of the, so to bring it back to coronavirus, oh, wow. yeah. a little bit. Um, I think a real opportunity in this time, as we're having to, um, in some ways, just take more responsibility for our own faith. Yeah. The the potential upside of that is people will start to take more responsibility oh, yeah. for their yeah. own faith. Yeah. And and there will be a certain kind of strength and a certain kind of temper that can be built in this time that then when we look forward to, and, and also hopefully we could learn lessons from this time about, okay, should that time come where we do need to start to decentralize, where the church building isn't able to be sustained anymore, when staff aren't able to be sustained anymore. Okay, what can we, what can we keep our eyes open to now? that can prepare us for that time then mm-hmm. should that time be coming. And what are the ways that we can increase in strength now as we're doing this and as we're, as we're taking these steps to, to decentralize and to, to put the onus more on one another to keep each other accountable to meeting yeah. with one another, as opposed to just the presence of a building and a particular time slot. Yeah. feels like it's just like mostly about just strengthening into like smaller communities within the large community. Um, so I don't know. Do you guys have anything else you wanted to say about the coronavirus or what all the other things that we just talked about? <laughs> oh, I, I know that this, I think the demographic demographic on this podcast is skews a little bit young. Yeah. Then to that, which that's true. Uh, wait, I was going to ask one more question. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just talking to one of my friends downtown and he, and kind of what we were talking about, we were talking about that and he was saying how he feels like sometimes that his faith is reliant on the community that he like when the community is strong, his faith is strong. And when the community is weak, his faith is weak. Like when he has a lot of friends is strong. What, what, what do you do? Cause I feel like that, that can happen within the situation as well. What do you do to stay grounded? And that's just a big, kind of a big question, but I don't know what, what do you do to stay grounded throughout strong and weak communities within the church? Cause the, the, like we just talked about the coronavirus, like a lot of things to make your community weaker, Mm-hmm. Um, what can we do just individually as like practices, uh, and what can I do? And and like, what can we all do to stay strong in our faith while we're not always, when we're not relying on that, like meeting a couple times, you know, at the church with people and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, one, that's a good observation. I would say that that is, there, there can be many ways that that can be true. Like there's the, I know one, th- I can't remember if we've talked about it on this podcast before or on an engaged equip podcast, but there's the, um, Generally speaking, your your income will be about the average of your six closest friends. And I think that same sort of principle can tend to hold true about your godliness. So I remember Luke was telling me about um, a uh, youth pastor that he had heard speak a couple weeks ago. Um, and his like pithy phrase was, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And so like there is, there is a sense in which the kind of people that you're surrounding yourself with and the, the, the strength of the people that you're surrounding yourself with will impact you. But, but right. I mean, the, the disciplines of the Christian life are the things that are going to help you stay strong in times like these. And this is an opportunity to, if you don't have those to begin to build them because the consistent disciplines and the consistent rhythms and the consistent habits, like Nick was talking about earlier from the uh, the second chapter of the Screwtape Letters, like the kinds of habits that we build into our lives to, um, I remember uh, a couple weeks ago, I heard this guy use the phrase to inculcate the presence of God and to, to habituate the presence of God in our lives. 
Um, those are the kind of things that are going to keep you connected and grounded in these types of situations where, where the community is being more scattered. I think that also proves that I'm not the only person who uses the word inculcate. It's good. <laughs> yeah. I have no idea what that means. Do you want to tell me? It means to like build a culture within yourself or like build, like to, to build into yourself this certain thing. Okay. Makes sense. So what? Okay. I want to comment on that too. I I think that that's true. People have heard the statement, um, hope for the best, prepare for the worst. Mm -hmm. I think you could say that same statement of work for the best, but prepare for the worst. Mm. You want to work for the best, which is to have a good community around you. You also need to prepare for the worst that Mm -hmm. all community could be stripped away because of the coronavirus, because of persecution, et cetera. There There are Christians in North Korea that go weeks, if not months, if not even years without speaking to another Christian. Yeah. Okay. Wow. And so you need to be ready for that. And I think in this case, if I was mentoring a person who said that to me, I would say, okay, A, we need to work for the best, which is to make sure you're in the best Christian community you can be in. But B, there's a psychological failing here that's making you weak, which is that you have a weak sense of self. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you're blowing around like that, if your faith is blowing around like that, then there's an issue in your personal sense of your own, the integrity of your understanding of yourself. Mm-hmm. Because that's one of the reasons why you're you're not as stable enough personally, um, and so I, that's where I would go with that person. Is mm-hmm. I would start to go through why does that person move that easily? Why is there not enough weight in their own personality that that doesn't happen? And and I would I would do that. I'd work on that as though their life depended on it. Because I don't know what's going to happen. We can work for the best that they have good community around them, but I want to prepare for the worst. That there there's going to be ways in which. Um, devils and circumstances will achieve a certain kind of isolation at certain moments and they have to be strong enough to bear whatever it is they face. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I want to be, I want to have the richest group of friends around me to support me as I can. And I also want to be emotionally and spiritually ready to be thrown in solitary, solitary confinement for 50 years. Yeah. 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 I have a friend who would, who consistently would tell me that your relationship with solitude is the most important thing about you. Like how you look when you're alone is the most important thing about where you're going to end up as yeah. far as your walk with God. Yeah. Spoken like a true introvert, but yeah, there right, is, right. there is some truth to that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. That's good. So it's, it's one thing to say like you're driving in your car and you wish somebody was there to talk with you. Like you wish your buddy was there. Mm-hmm. That's extroversion. If you get in your car and you have to turn the radio on and divert yourself to listen to something else. Right. That's not extroversion. That is discomfort with being alone and having solitude around you mm-hmm. and reflecting on the important things in life and so on. And I think it's important to recognize that like extroverts can be reflective. They yes. tend statistically to be less reflective, mm-hmm. but they don't <laughs> ext- and extroverts tend to be more shallow. I think, I think, but that doesn't, there's nothing necessary about that. And I think mm-hmm. that, um, I think it's important to recognize that there's a difference between needing diversion because you're addicted to it because you have a hollow sense of self mm-hmm. and really liking and being charged by having other nourishing people around you. Right. Mm-hmm. Those aren't the same phenomenon. Right. Yeah. Did you want to make, you were going to make one last point. Oh yeah. You? Because this skews young and because coronavirus could break out more. Um, I was listening to a podcast the other day with a, with a doctor explicitly talking, saying the number one thing you can do immunization wise is sleep. Hmm. And a lot of young people play play video games. They stay up watching stuff. They stay up doing whatever. And you need to go to bed. You need to go to sleep. You need to stop watching stuff on screens an hour before you do it. And the and sleep before midnight counts basically as two hours for your body. And the number one thing that makes your immune system work is sleep, especially mm-hmm. in combating viruses, because your body has to make, I, I don't know all the, 
don't have all the scientific lingo memorized, mm-hmm. but your body has to make very specific kinds of cells and antigens and antibodies um, to fight viruses. And sleep is the number one thing that makes your your body do that properly. Mm-hmm. And so if you want to be one of those people that gets coronavirus and you have virtually no symptoms, the best thing you can possibly do is get good sleep. Mm-hmm. So, And that's also better for your life and your character and your thinking and your emotions and most everything about you. The average adult needs seven to nine hours of sleep. The average American adult gets less than six and a half or so. It's a problem. It's a huge problem. Yeah, I got so it, and it leads to depression and yeah. and also bad spiritual thinking, like believing stuff you should believe. Like there's all kinds of negatives with... Um, you got to get into REM mode, mm-hmm. right? That's the right. REM sleep is what's REM going sleep. Yeah, that's, that's, that is yeah. That is one of the stages, yes. You got to get yeah. into that. You yeah. But the one, before it, the one before it, which is like the really deep sleep state... Oh. That's just as important, I think, for mm-hmm. your immune system. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think we covered coronavirus. You guys have any? You don't have anything else? We've wanna, we've hardly add? touched coronavirus, but I right. think hopefully we've had an interesting. Conversation. No, we we have a cure. I mean, one of, <laughs> one of the final things, and Nick, you mentioned this at the end of your sermon, was this is an opportunity for the gospel yeah. to go forward too, and it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to love our neighbors in a unique kind of way. It's people's minds are more open to that. Totally. As you feel like totally. the world's going to end. Totally, people are like, "Well, maybe I should believe in Jesus." Or something, on the so. on the suggestion of a friend of ours, Adam and I. So I live with a guy named Adam. Um, and Adam Kilgus, shout out. Adam Kilgus, shout out to you. Brilliant. One of the most one of the most eligible bachelors in Dane County. Oh, ladies, wait! <laughs> I he, listen. I hear from my daughters consistently, mm-hmm. just like Adam Kilgus. Like, if I was older, I would marry him. They just he looks like, like Aaron Rodgers. They just don't. He does they, kind of. They're just like, like the, Rogers, the yeah. single women don't get it. Mm-hmm. I don't know what they're. I don't know what they're waiting. He is. On. He is currently. Well, I don't want to. I don't want to limit his prospects, so I won't. I won't yeah. say anymore. <laughs> um, it's but, still okay to flirt with him. Yeah, but. Uh, we're going to just hand out a little sheet of paper to our neighbors that says, hey, if you guys are sick and you need groceries, here's our numbers. Let us know. And so that's at least just one like one small practical step that we're going to take towards trying to love our neighbors well and trying to establish relationships that we don't have and see where that Starts goes as an opportunity for the gospel. Yeah, that's dope. That's cool. So yeah, I guess I guess that's it for for coronavirus um, <laughs> for coronavirus podcast. Uh, but um, oh, we I want to announce this on this one that on the music podcast we said that if somebody sent in an album, we would give them a T-shirt, and so somebody did, and it was Tony Dolliger. Yes, sent in an album. He sent out sent in an album, for, in album recommendation for, for me and Luke to review, and so we all have to sign. A, a white t-shirt from Walmart for him. <laughs> so that's what we're doing. He's going to be so proud. He's yeah, gonna be, this is big. Where, yeah, he, it's from the entire Optive family, all, all four of us. So so famous I, Pastor I, Nick. I saw a mug today. Um, Britt Moe showed me this mug that said, I'm sorry I'm late. I didn't want to come here. <laughs> and I feel like that would be a great shirt for Tony. Should we just write that on there with I'm Sharpie? <laughs> Should we just write <laughs> that? <laughs> you know, we could just write it's gonna it be on. whatever whatever it ends up being. It's gonna be great. Anyways, Tony is is 
is I think he's our biggest Optive podcast fan. He listens That's to every single one of them. One of them. Shout out to Tony. I have heard that he disagrees with almost everything that I say, and I don't care because he listens. So <laughs> that's good. great. And we'll have him on one of them at some point. So yeah. and we want to thank both of the listeners who've kept listening all the way right. to the end of this. The podcast. other two that, <laughs> that also we don't know your names, but thank you. Um, so yeah, we got that. One listen, of them is named Andy Schmidt. One of them is me because I listen to every that, single yeah. one of them. Uh, listen to the Optive Music podcast. There's a new one out. Uh, yesterday there's gonna be a new one out next week and then that's that's it for this week but thank you for listening i hope you enjoy and we will see you guys in the next one see you later